cause my quiver's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can fling a few. Welcome to the Drag Quest Podcast. James Orr here, and joining me as always, Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, Bob? Much, buddy. How you doing? Awesome. Just got off of work. Found a new podcast that I love today. What's that? The Hunting Collective. It's a brand new one. It's awesome. Sweet, man. Yeah, it's a good one. I can't remember the dude that does it, but he's one of the meat eater got uh buddies and he had steven ranella on there today and um it's pretty awesome right on man so who do we got joining us for the intro we got our buddy andy ponce of addictive archery how you doing andy i'm doing good how are you guys good good Good. what's the big news tonight we're gonna do our drawing for our dozen arrows huh yeah yeah we uh we we wanted to do it uh, in person and, and live, but uh, the weather up here is not cooperating. It's actually uh, snowing and quite cold outside, so uh, I wimped out <laughs> and uh, uh, told you guys, hey, let's do it electronically or do it somewhere nice and warm. So <laughs> Us West Coast guys are scared of the snow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I melt at times. So <laughs> we'll figure to do it this way in the, in the comfort of our homes. <laughs> So what's uh, what's new at uh, Addictive Archery, Andy? Not much. Just uh, recovering from uh, I uh, had my booth at the uh, Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show here in Portland. Um, it's the first time I've actually displayed there. Uh, and you guys were up there for a couple days with me, so that was a lot of fun. We talked to, oh, hundreds of guys, I would bet. I know there's thousands of people that attend that, but... Uh, only a few of them came by. A lot of people were surprised to see traditional archery at that shoot or at that uh, show. So I had uh, a lot of arrows and and uh, leather quivers and some feathers and you know traditional broadheads and that kind of stuff. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed and appreciated your guys' help being up there because with that many people there, it's kind of hard to talk to everybody. And you do need to take a break to be able to go use the bathroom and get something to eat every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, so recovering from that and starting to work on custom orders that I've had, uh, that I've been kind of putting on hold so I can get to that show. And uh, so now I'm slowly working my way through those. So for those of you that have orders pending with me, uh, rest assured I am working on them. I, uh, it'd go a lot quicker if the weather would cooperate and it'd get nice and warm, but I don't think that's going to happen for a couple of months. So I should get and, them done by then. And what, uh, what do you got planned as far as shows? Uh, for this season, 2018? Well, uh, let's see. My first big one will be the Moses Lake Rock Shoot up in uh, Moses Lake, Washington. Uh, that's a real fun traditional shoot if uh, anybody's in the area. Um, there's probably 
probably close to a couple hundred shooters. There's there's at least two to three hundred people I would think in camp uh, up there, and it's one of the most scenic and fun shoots I've ever been to. Um, and that kind of kicked off the year for us. Uh, then from there, let's see. In May, we got the uh, Western States Traditional Rendezvous in uh, New Meadows, Idaho. And then in June, I'll do a couple local shoots here, the Stick and Sage. Um, I host a shoot for the local archery club at our farm. And then uh, July, we have the North American Longbow Safari here at Hudu. And then we have the state, uh, the Traditional Archers of Oregon has our uh, Pope and Young shoot at the end of July. And then there's some various shoots in August that I'll attend. So summer's filling up quick. Um, for those of you that are interested, if you go to my website and go to my blog post, I have the 2018 calendar up where I try to list most all of the traditional archery shoots that are going on around the Pacific Northwest. We are planning on, uh, my wife and I are going to build a house on the family farm here this spring, and uh, I'm going to start working on the new shop. So we won't be able to attend as many as we have in years past, but I still have them listed on there so that uh, folks can kind of plan their vacation time and, uh, join the enjoy the traditional archery community around here and what happens after that andy hunting season <laughs> the, the bulls will I be bugling <laughs> that's right uh and, september it seems like we're always waiting for september to get here and then when it does it flies by but uh yeah hunting season for me this year is going to be awesome i uh i'll be chasing elk Last week of August, all of September, and then I was fortunate enough to get invited on a Sitka blacktail hunt up on Kodiak in October. Uh, so that I can't wait for that one. And then uh, I'm still planning on going to uh, whitetail camp again uh, in December. Sweet. So if you guys want custom arrows or custom leather work, <laughs> get your orders in now. Don't wait like yes. Bob does and order arrows on August 15th. <laughs> order your arrows now so Andy can make them perfect and, you know, pimp them out the way you want them because he's going to be very busy when the bulls start bugling. Yes, uh, you will. Uh, you probably won't be able to get a hold of me or find me in the month of September, probably most of October, uh, parts of November and December. <laughs> <laughs> Leave a message. I'll try to return your messages as soon as you can, as soon as I can. But uh, yeah, I uh, I do enjoy my hunting time. <laughs> so, moral to the story: get your or arrow orders in today. <laughs> and there's yeah. gonna be one lucky guest, uh, one lucky listener, who's gonna get his arrows uh, paid for by Sherwood Shafts and Addictive Archery. So, uh, Andy, why don't you tell us how we're going to do that? That's right. That's right. The giveaway. So initially we had planned to do this in person, but, uh, the weather, like I said, the weather wasn't cooperating. So I went through all of, uh, Stitcher, Blueberry, Podbean, uh, iTunes and YouTube and got the names of everyone that had left a comment or review uh, for the Trav Quest podcast, and what I've done is I've put those names into a program called the Name Picker Ninja. Yeah. <laughs> so it took me a while. I had to cut and paste. I was uh, I thought about writing them down on a 
on a piece of paper and drawing it that way. But um, yeah, I like using my hands. I think carpal tunnel would have set in really quick. So there's well over a hundred names. So I put them all into this program and I am ready just to hit and go here and it will randomly draw a name. Hiya. Are you guys ready? <laughs> I think that was the ninja. Yes. Go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we go. I am going to hit the go button and it is scrolling through selecting and drum beat. Yep, yep. It looks like the little wheel of uh, or the Price is Right wheel there. And a Monty, ready for this? Monty yeah. Greg is the winner. Monty Greg. Monty Sweet. Greg with two G's. Right on. So. Uh-huh. You want to shoot them your email address and your number to get a hold of you, or how do you want to do that, Andy? Yeah, so Monty, get a hold of me uh, by email at least, or I would prefer a phone call because what I, I need to ask you some questions as to specifically your bow setup, uh, how you shoot, your point weight, and all that, so we can get you the right spine. Plug your whole infra- information for everyone that's listening. Oh, okay, He's okay, yeah. to buy some arrows or whatever. Yeah, so in order to determine the right spine that you need, I need to know which uh, what the bow weight is that you're drawing. That's what I start with. And then I want to know how long you want your arrow. Uh, minimum, we recommend an inch past your draw length so that you don't uh, drag a broadhead across your, uh, your finger. Um, and then uh, I need to know how the shelf is cut and what type of bow it is. So if it's a high-performance recurve or long bow, we got to add spine for that. And then if it's cut past center or to center, that also is a uh, – uh, we add or subtract uh, spine for that. And then uh, the string type that you're shooting, whether you're shooting a, a stretchy Dacron style or a low-stretch style string, that affects your spine. And then finally, your point weight. And then once we figure all that out, we'll uh, determine what spine you're going to need so you can get proper flight out of your arrow. And I can usually get you real close to where all you're going to need is uh, maybe some minor uh, brace height adjustments or maybe adjust the thickness of the strike plate on your shelf just a little bit. Okay, so tell them where we can find addictive archery at, Andy. So uh, to contact me, you can can go right to my website, addictivearchery.com. You can use the contact, uh, I think it's contact us or contact me page there uh, and use that form and that'll go right to my email. Uh, and then my phone number is also listed on there. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram. And if you click on my profile, the, that'll have all of my contact information there as well. So if Monty can get a hold of me in one of those methods, I will make sure he gets the proper arrows. For all the guys listening, go to Andy's Instagram page. If you guys are interested in getting some arrows, he does uh, carbons, aluminums. He does Sherwood shafts, uh, Doug fir. He does cedar. He makes them so beautiful, and he's got tons of pictures of all kinds of different ones on there. So go check them out. And also, just yeah, I know I'm... I know Andy, pretty well known for the arrows, but he also on his website he has an online store. So. He's got a ton of broadheads and pretty much everything you need for the traditional bow hunter. And I know you're planning when you're talking about your shop, 
you're going to have an actual shop on your property there coming up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the plan is to have a, a small indoor range. And at that point I'll start stocking some bows and stuff. So folks can come by and try different bows and, and get to shoot, you know, long bows and recurs and stuff. And then, uh, you know, once the weather does turn nice around here, we will have an outdoor range. Um, we're on a, on my wife's family farm there, so we will have plenty of room. You should be able to shoot uh, as far as you would like. And you're a dealer for Lone Wolf tree stands? Yep. And yep. any any other brands of tree stands or just Lone Wolf? Just Lone Wolf right now. I can get okay. some other ones, but uh, so far I've been happy with that. And, and one thing I try to do with my shop is everything that I have on my website, I, I have personal knowledge of. I've either used or shot um, and so that I can help folks out. Yeah, we use those yeah. lone wolves this year. Those things are sweet. So, full service traditional bow shop. He's even got uh, handmade leather goods, tabs, gloves, quivers. Uh, he's he's got it all. So you guys check out uh, Addictive Archery. And we've also and- got uh, this podcast. This is the intro. We're actually um, going to be joining the Sherwood Shaft guys today. Um, so we're going to be transitioning to uh, a sit down with those guys. And Andy nor Bob were there for this podcast, but it was a good one. And also, for you guys out there that apply for tags all over like I do, don't forget Utah is March 1st. So I just applied yesterday for all my tags there. So don't forget the draw deadline's coming up. Put in your Utah applications. Anything else, Bob, as far as any other states coming up? No, Arizona was just there. Uh, New Mexico is coming up the middle of March, but I'll uh, I'll put a little reminder on our Instagram like I did for Arizona right before the deadlines just so we don't forget. I know guys get busy this time of year. Like Andy, Andy forgot to apply for our Oregon tax last year. <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to do that one up. <laughs> so if I, if I help one guy, remember, that's good. That's good enough, so. And you got spring bear results coming up, or did they come out yet? What what's last today? week? Did, did, I say, did you draw? Negatron, no uh, spring bear. Ah, okay. Well, if well, that might work out for the best because hopefully, then you know, when Bob and I get some time, you can get in and go with us. It'd be fun for all three of us to share a spring bear camp. That you know, we Bob and I did it a couple years ago with a friend of ours, and man, it was a lot of fun. Take the families up there and kind of. You know, get out. Everybody's suffering from cabin fever by that point, so you can get out and chase some bears, pick some mushrooms, do a little fishing. Awesome. It's a good time. All righty. Well, enjoy the Sherwood Shaft, guys. Welcome to the Trag Quest podcast. Today we are in rainy Eugene, Oregon, at Bob Marshall's house. I'm sitting down with the Sherwood Shaft guys. Unfortunately, we do not have Bob the Bowhunter Borland with us today. Uh, we miss you, Bob. So, yeah, um, why don't you guys go around the table and introduce yourselves. We'll start with uh, Bob here. Yeah, I'm Bob Marshall, uh, one of the three partners in Sherwood Shafts. Uh, we bought it from Doug, but uh, the three of us uh, now own it. is Carson and I and Steve Savage. So, I'm Steve Savage. I re- Placed Doug about six years ago. He wanted out, and I wanted in. And uh, I've been hunting or hunting using a bow and arrow since I was probably five or six years old. So it's awesome. And then we've got uh, Carson Brown here. I think uh, 
He's the. This is the third time we've had him on the podcast, so he's our uh, most frequent flyer to date. Third it's time, always a pleasure. Third time's a charm. <laughs> yeah, Sherwood Carson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, joined Sherwood about this time last year, taking over for Dad. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, why don't we uh, s- start with uh, Bob and Steve and kind of talk about you know how you guys may have got into uh, archery and how you guys got to know each other and kind of give us a uh, a rundown on how we got to to building fur shafts. Sure. Well, you know, uh, my story is probably not too un- uncommon. Uh, I remember I was probably 15, and my cousins and I used to get together all the time on the weekends and do different things. And one day we were out at my cousin's place, and somebody said, let's get the bows out. You know, they were probably underneath the bed somewhere, I'm pretty sure. We dug them all out and went out in the backyard and flung some arrows for a while and put them back. And usually, you know, the next weekend, we just happened to be together again, and Typically, we'd be doing going fishing or doing something else, but let's, let's get the bows out again. So we did, and from there, it just progressed. Uh, we grew up a rifle hunting family. Um, I was started hunting when I was probably 12 with a Model 94 30 Winchester, but it one thing led to another. We all began to shoot the bow, and my cousin Jerry was very good at just about everything he did, and a great hunter with a rifle, and he was kind of our mentor. He got into it. He was the kind of guy who jumped in with both feet. He got started and became a very good shot, competed in OBH tournaments and won a lot of them. Our dads, of course, were dyed-in-the-wool rifle hunters, but eventually uh, the, the young kids, all of us, started hunting. Uh, I remember we went up wood gathering. It would have been in 1964. I was a junior in high school. And then we took along our bows, and I got tired of chopping wood, so I decided to walk up the skid road, and I got my first shot at a doe. I missed her, but from that day on, and uh, I was hooked on bow hunting, and the next year, 1965, the year I graduated from high school, I know I'm an old guy. Are you from Western Oregon? Yeah, I was born right here in Eugene uh, in 1947, so a long time ago. So we uh, uh, started hunting with the bow pretty seriously in 65. I shot see that buck right there that's on the wall <laughs> that was my first one I ever shot we're we're in um bob's den here it it's just surrounded with really awesome archery archery memorabilia and just an amazing collection of stuff from chet stevenson and just all kinds of really oregon rich uh, collection of arrows and bows and pictures and it's pretty cool yeah, you're right, James. Uh, there is a rich tradition of uh, archery, or traditional archery, or archery in Oregon. Um, a lot of, uh, well, we, you talk about Chet Stevenson. Fred Bear was well acquainted with Chet Stevenson and sent him those billets that he made that bow out of. But anyway, get back to my story a little bit. Uh, that first buck I shot in 65, and it just, it took probably two or three years until we got our dads converted, you know, dyed in wool rifle guys, but they all everybody in my family switched to bow hunting and I got real active as a young kid I started out in Cascadian Bowman but um, in 1968 uh, myself and 11 other people started Green Valley Archers that still exist today Um, and now I'm I kind of got away from you know local clubs but I belong to TAO and of course the we have a small group here in Eugene that's an affiliate of TAO which is Traditional Archers of Oregon so over the years, uh, you know, I've been really fortunate. You said some of the things I have in this room, 
Uh, I can't believe some of the things I have. I was very lucky to get some of the really cool stuff that I've got that someday it'll belong to somebody else, but right now it's mine. So I sit in this room a lot and just enjoy what's in here. I just come in here and kind of sit. And was there was there uh, archery seasons in 1965, 68 Oh, gosh, yeah. Oregon? Very prolific. We had really good archery seasons. Uh, uh, they've shortened up quite a bit, and, of course, now it's almost everything. You, the really good hunts are all draw in Oregon. But y- years ago, gosh, you could go wherever you want and hunt. Uh, of course, Canyon Creek, one of the first. It was like the second, I think, Steve, wasn't it? Second one, uh, well, west of the Mississippi. I think there was yeah. some place in Wisconsin or Michigan that started first, and Oregon was second in about 35, 30, 1935 to 36. So there is, a, like say, a rich <coughs> history of tr- archery. First uh, in ar- archery season. Archery season. Archery season. Mm-hmm. Bow hunting mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the yeah. Yeah. strawberry wilderness outside of John Day. Which, yes. which is a, we get a traditional only one week in that area now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. I'd like to see a push to get the whole season there. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. yeah. And you said about when I met Steve Savage, you know, I really don't remember. We all were kind of getting started back then. And, uh, of course, Dave and Steve were really good friends, went to church together. And uh, Dave. Dave Dorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. A tremendous person and uh, probably knew more about the history of archery, not only in Oregon, but all of uh, archery in, uh, in the United States. And for, unfortunately, we lost Dave uh, last year to cancer. So uh, he was a rich knowledge and, uh, and helped many, many, many people, of course, to get started in archery. But I can't really remember. I mean, way, way back in probably the late 60s, we did. We started doing seminars and, you know, sharpening broadheads. And I remember Ray, I've talked about Ray Knott. Uh, he did, uh, he'd loved a varmint call. And Ray, we'd do different seminars and that that where it all began i guess and then we all got deeply involved with uh green valley archers uh, now it's like i said it's pretty much just tao and 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 uh sherwood shafts keeps me busy now yeah and so for you steve how did archery begin for you well uh before i start with that uh, talking about the hunting seasons and i remember and i still have some organ hunting synopsis they could fit them in the, your top pocket mm. they were probably 20 to 30 pages at the most you could read it in half an hour or less and that was the entire uh, there was no uh, draws or uh, i couldn't didn't couldn't earn preference points or anything like that seasons were open the whole time and uh, so archery seasons were quite prolific at that time and stuff like that so. was there an elk season <coughs> in september then oh yeah mm-hmm. yep. yeah yeah we had the archery season first and then we had a, the late seasons were much more extensive than they are now so okay like that, so uh, well, back to, and like I said earlier, I got into uh, archery as a little kid. I still remember, you know, going to a little hardware store or toy store with my grandfather holding his hand and pointing up to the shelf and said, that's what I want, Grandpa, that's what I want, a little bow and arrow set. I don't know where that spark came. I don't know what uh, prompted it. My parents didn't shoot. My brothers didn't shoot. But I wanted that bow and arrow. And... Uh, I remember that one little snippet of time, and I, I'm sure he bought it. You know, that's what grandpas do. <laughs> I don't remember shooting it or anything, but I just remember always having a bow as a kid. And they, most of what I had were the uh, York Lemonwood bows. They were just a one-piece longbow. And uh, I think there was a time an uncle or something came up and overdrew the thing, and it blew up. And so next thing I knew, I had a little stronger and a newer bow <laughs> a few days later or something like that. But... Uh, I uh, started hunting when I was in high school, bought my first real hunting bow from Herder's Catalog, and I think it was like twenty nine ninety five for a one-piece uh, recurve, laminated recurve with ro- uh, Brazilian rosewood in the handle. 
you can't even import Brazilian rosewood now. I think it's got a moratorium on it. But anyhow, uh, sold it to a friend of mine years ago. I wish I still had it. But it was 50 pounds, so I could hunt deer in Oregon as well as elk. So hunted some in high school, never got a, never got a deer. And then I went off to college and ran track and met my wife. And, and uh, I didn't even touch a bow or a rifle or a fishing pole for almost five years. And, and then uh, about 1971 or two, I was at church and I was decided I wanted to go hunting again or uh, or go archery hunting again. And somebody says, well, go see Dave Doran. He went to the same church I did, but I didn't know him very well. And so we had him over for dinner and he, I showed him that herder's bow and he and I went out and shot at Lane Community College. And I think that fall, there were some, actually some seasons you could hunt into January, I think, mm-hmm. some elk seasons at down around Loon Lake or someplace like that. And, oh, uh, my neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He had to be on or within a quarter mile of um, agricultural land, and I didn't know if that was up and over the hill or the way the crow flight. So <laughs> <laughs> we saw elk, and we went and chasing him, but I didn't get anything then. I didn't get a first uh, animal with a, a bow until probably 1975, a little forked horn that I still have. and uh, But I've been hunting every year since. So, and... Uh, started uh, making uh dave showed me how to make arrows and still do that to this day and a bowstring and, and so uh, were you guys shooting cedar shafts back then or how, how's oh that? yeah yeah well sure. aluminum was very big i shot aluminum i still have a lot of aluminums and uh carbons hadn't even come out there were some uh fiberglass dave shot a microflight fiber uh, fiberglass arrow which maybe yeah there's probably a collection right over there Yep. They weren't as popular. Uh, Eastern aluminums were the big uh, the big arrows in, but there were, a lot of us were still shooting uh, cedar shafts. Uh, Dave and I went together uh, and ordered a 1,000 Acme premiums with excise tax and postage from Acme, and I think that 1,000 shafts cost us $110. Wow. And that, they were located in southern Oregon? Yeah. Um, uh, Myrtle Point, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Myrtle Point. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's that's right in my neck of the woods. Yeah, they were right out of Myrtle Point, and uh, there were several big manufacturers then. Because, uh, I mean, they would do several million shafts a year because most people shot wood, and cedar was the, the wood of choice at that time. So a few years later, we ordered another 1000 got some people together, and they went up to about $125 a 1000 We thought we were being robbed. <laughs> <laughs> now I'd gladly pay $3 a piece for them. <laughs> and, and uh, Carson, you, you took over for your dad. Your dad got involved with Sherwood when? Oh, about 11 years ago. 2006. 2006, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so he, uh, he he went to high school with Doug. They they were buddies. They grew up together, um, hunting and fishing. And so he uh, when when Doug wanted to get back into um, making arrow shafts, Dad uh, decided to join him. Steve just broke one of Bob's Bob's compressed hundred, cedar hundred year old arrows. Air. Did you guys hear that snap? <laughs> it's not a Sherwood, Steve. You can't treat him like that. <laughs> Didn't break it. Oopsie. Though. It's, Did it pop? I wouldn't shoot. I, I heard, heard it a pop. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So Dad and Doug actually had a archery shop, KMB Sports, and they ran that out of the back. Uh, there's this old uh, double-car garage, separate building from the house, uh, the, the property I grew up on. And so as a little kid, we had uh, guys coming over and uh, trying out bows and, and shooting bows in the backyard all the time. And... Uh, 
Doug was just getting into making custom bows. So dad made the arrows and, and Doug made the bows and, uh, and they, they resold, uh, some of the more modern stuff. Compounds were really catching on then this early eighties. And, uh, and so I just grew up around it and had a couple of custom bows. Me and my brothers were kind of spoiled growing up. I mean, we shot some, some garage shell bows here and there too, but we also had, um, custom-made bows by Doug Knight, you know, you would laminations and just, you know, kind of pretty nice for a little kid to have. And so, uh, but yeah, we, we grew up shooting little aluminum arrows and, and, uh, and night longbows. And, uh, so dad and Doug had a long history together as friends and hunting partners. And then, uh, so, um, so yeah, it was pretty natural for dad to, um, join Sherwood, uh, when Doug wanted to Get so back into it. Doug Knight is the originator of Sherwood Shafts? Correct. Yep. He, yeah. He called it uh, Oregon, Oregon Traditional, Traditional Arrows at the time, OTA. But Doug started it. Yes, indeed, he did. He yeah. ran that for several years before Sherwood, right? Yeah, I kind of wrote down a timeline here. I believe it was probably the mid-90s when Doug started, somewhere around there. I We just went to work for a different company, and I called on a, a paper mill very close to Albany, where our shop is now. So I uh, would stop, you know, Doug was getting started. I knew about, I used to drive by your place, Carson, and I heard about, I knew your dad a little bit, you know, in 84 when we started uh, Traditional Archers of Oregon, I knew him, but I drove up there trying to find you guys' house one time, and then I did see where it was at, and uh, then Doug got the idea to, you know, he just got tired of working for a living at a, a CED where he worked, and he decided, you know, to try to make a deal out of making uh, arrows along with his bows that he made. And so I, I had a lot of conversations with Doug and his dad. I'd stop by, oh, at least once a week when I called on some other customers up there and watched him build the different machines that he was getting started with. And I knew a lot about what he was trying to do well before I even became involved with it just by being up there. In fact, I sold him a few things, some leg pulleys that we, I don't know if we still use them. We might today. Uh, it had a little bit of influence on some of the machines he made. I had some ideas for him. So our laser light that we have on our, our gang saw was, uh, we sold them where I worked. And, you know, the sawmill industry is, making arrows is just sort of a smaller version of making lumber. Really, we make boards and small boards that we turn into arrow shafts. So the, a lot of the technology and ideas were the same. So I uh, helped Doug out a little bit when he first got started. But yeah, Doug, Doug started it, I'm guessing, somewhere in the mid-90s. Yeah, if it wasn't for Doug, we probably wouldn't be sitting here today. I oh, mean, absolutely he, he not. He developed a lot of the machinery and stuff. Um, he, didn't, he didn't necessarily like to market the stuff or stand there and watch the machines produce arrow. He liked to work on machines and watch the feed ramps and the off-ramps. And, yeah, he stuff that we still use today, yeah, he's very instrumental in it. Um, what have you guys noticed um, <clears throat> through your guys' time in the wood arrow production as far as popularity um, goes, I mean, do, do you feel that it's um, more popular today? Um, I mean, it seems like from what I'm seeing on the internet, guys are starting to revisit and relearn, um, you know, wood shafts and going back to wood shafts. It seems to be somewhat popular right now. Well, um, I mean, the wood shafts are still a pretty small portion of the traditional archery business I, i'm guessing 15 to maybe 20 percent sure uh, and that's all woods whether it's cedar or spruce or hemlock or fir or tamarack or whatever and um 
but the guys that use them like them. Uh, everybody tells me, oh, you guys make a great arrow maker. I says, no, a lot of people can make great arrows. You just have to throw the bad ones away. Right. And, uh, you know, unfortunately we do that, and we have a lot of kindling to start fires. But, yeah, it's uh, you have to throw the bad ones away. Well, you look, you go clear back to when, you know, aluminums came. We all shot wood. Uh, fiberglass came. We got one of those laying on the table here right now. I've got some others, too. And then aluminum came, and quite honestly, like Steve just mentioned a bit ago, he's, he converted over. I shot aluminum for quite a few years, hunted with him. Uh, and basically, at that time, traditional archery and wood shafts was really fading out. Uh, people just weren't doing it. And it, I'm, what year would you guess it made a comeback? It started gradually. I mean, it, it, at one point, it looked like it almost would become extinct, you know. But it gradually made an increase in... People who quit making bows, people who quit making arrows, start doing it again. You know, gosh, we have dozens, hundreds, literally, of guys who make. Uh, I I think at one time in the late seventies, early eighties, probably eighty-five to ninety percent of the people went to compounds of some way. Some only did it a year or two. Uh, some people, there was a few, myself and Dave Doran, that never never switched to a compound. And uh, I thought about it one time. I asked Dave, says, "What do you?" What do you think of the compound? He read me such a riot act, I'd never brought it up again and never considered it again. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, as on a as on a drive over to Canyon Creek uh, archery area. But uh, probably about when traditional archers started in the mid-'80s when the resurgence was coming back, uh, John Stroke was starting to build self-bows and longbows. And, uh, Jim Brackenberry was Jim Brackenberry. Seat. I bought yeah. a longbow from John uh, Schultz. That was making, and he was one of the few longbow makers you could see in the magazines back then. He's, he's out of Washington, isn't he? Uh, no, he's uh, he's actually supposedly trained by Howard Hill and stuff. Oh, okay. He's probably yeah, he was making his, Hill longbows for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's in he's Brand in his eighties now, archery. still alive. Yeah. I think he lives in Wyoming. Oh, okay. So his son started the American Leather Finger Guard. That's oh. now, now John Turner out of Idaho, and his wife own it. So. Okay. <clears throat> awesome. But yeah, that uh, so. Uh, since then, and, and I personally don't think that the traditional uh, archers have been any more than about 15 or even 20% at the most of the general population. So, uh, and that's just my guess from what I see out in the woods and talk to people and stuff. So. Do you think we make up that big of a number, 20%? 20% is probably high. It's probably yeah. closer to 15, I would guess. Yeah, I would probably guess less than 10. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. could be. So. And, and then maybe just a, a small percentage of us that are shooting wood shafts within that community. Yeah, of that and community, it's, it's probably about 20% that shoot yeah, wood. Yeah. And, and it's hard for me to say because, you know, we're in it. Um, we're you know, we don't have, in it. Yeah, we have a pretty biased view, but it sure feels like there's a resurgence um, among the traditional crowd to, you know, wood arrows and even wood bows. I'm starting to see more yeah. interest in self bows. And, and, and I hear from guys, you know, from uh, around the U.S., like, who say like in maybe whatever the state they live in that the the following isn't great. Like, why do you think Oregon is so rich in um, archery and and where does its history you know span like? Well, a couple things: the wood, you wood, which that's at one time that was about all the bows that were made out of. Maybe some Osage orange and cedar and and Porterford cedar. Uh, they were they're both natural to the uh, to Oregon. 
Cedar is about the only place. Port Orford Cedar is about the only place in Oregon you can get it. Uh, well, you the would. World. There's a little bit. That, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's the only place world. you can get it. A little bit. Uh, you would. You can get in Washington and I'm sure British Columbia and probably Northern California, but it's still uh, Oregon is one of those. Yeah. When I go elk hunting, <clears throat> I mean, I'm always stumping, shooting these 150-year-old cedar stumps. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just stumps, not logs. <laughs> right, yeah. They, yeah, find yeah. the logs and you can be a rich man. Right, yeah. The, the stumps are, you know, you know, hidden in that yeah. uh, 50 to 80-year-old timber stands. I, w- I was told just this last weekend when I went to a little gathering in Idaho that uh, some guys will pay $1,000 a cord for uh, Porterford Cedar bolts. They have to be prime good wood, but $1,000 a cord. And in comparison, the firewood's about $200 right. a cord. So, yeah, so it definitely has yeah. its value for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and so that you think just the wood alone uh, is. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and then you that. had uh, E. Sylvan Archers. Yeah. Publication, mm-hmm. which was a nationally publication. read publication. that started, what, 19, oh. 20, late 20s, 25? Yeah. Was, and then uh, if you look at some of those original magazines and booklets and things like that, the. There was a lot of uh, advertisement for you wood staves, cedar arrows, you know. I found out just a while ago that Oakland, Oregon, as I don't, uh, yeah, Oakland, Oregon was one of the turkey capitals of the world at one time. So maybe a lot of the feathers for arrows could have come from this area as well, too, at that wow. time. What were so. they selling? That guy told us 10,000 turkeys a week? Oh, so, I mean, it was, it was a, incredible. Yeah. Domesticated I mean, turkeys. This was back yeah. in the 20s or 30s or something, and, okay. and that's what. You know, ninety nine percent of the feathers that we use on our are turkey feathers. Oh, they're not chicken feathers. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Most of them are turkey feathers. So. Goose. Some people have used goose yeah. feathers. Yeah. yeah. Probably use eagle feathers if it was legal, but that's not. Is that a little <laughs> a little shot at Snyder? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, it seems like. What other states do you think? I mean, it seems like Montana and maybe. California and Michigan are like the other states that are pretty rich in, in archery, and then like uh, it doesn't seem to really spread that far uh, elsewhere. I mean, well, especially, especially Michigan, Grayling, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, Michigan is a big. I mean, they, we probably get uh, the largest number of our individual retail orders come from Michigan. They uh, were from Thompsons. They were from Florida, weren't they? The Thompson oh, Thompson. Yeah, yeah. But Fred Bear's from Michigan, and I, I think there's some other Midwest states like Wisconsin and. Has a rich history as well, and and a few of those other states in that Midwest. So, um, and what about like the state of Washington? I mean, it's it's so close to here. Yeah, but yeah, that's where Glen St. Charles. It's got is a pretty from. rich yeah. history as well. Yeah, they had the they didn't have the Port Orford Cedar, but they had, of course had the U wood and stuff like that. And I'm sure some people were trying to make uh, arrows out of spruce back then and fir, but cedar just was probably the easiest to work with and uh, plentiful at those times. Right. So it makes a great shooting arrow as long as it's really good wood. Yeah, and you see a lot of um, the high-end custom bows now running the, the myrtle wood, limb veneers. Yeah. And myrtle wood is another. Myrtle wood's another. Wood that's mm-hmm. that's uh, only found in my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense that the wood has a, it all comes down to the wood. Well, and the other thing is Oregon's one of the few states that you can get both blacktail and mule deer, Roosevelt and Rocky Mountain elk in. Um which, you know, I, I don't even know if you can do that in Washington. So uh, maybe Washington. Yeah, Washington yeah, and, uh, Calif- and California. California? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. California has blacktails, yeah, mule deer, totally up, yeah. R- Roosevelt. That's true. That's true. Uh, but it's like a west west coast that these three states. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. variety. Um, and and then Chet Stevens, he, I mean, and his clan of guys that uh, old man bow hunter book. I mean, that's got some really cool history in it, and um, and that goes like what does that turn of the century like early 1900s? Yeah, I just think pioneer bow hunting. You know that it was no there. There's the Thompson brothers, and I think they kind of kicked things off. But uh, mm-hmm. you know Chet and those guys, they were kind of the next. Uh, you know, with Pope and Young, and you know rediscovering Ishii, that was kind of the reignition of archery in in mm-hmm. the U.S. It kind of kicked it all off. But uh, so yeah, Chet being here, and then uh, there's some ties to Pope and Young. I can't remember the name but there was a fellow up in forest grove that started an archery supply store and uh was making you wood long bows and advertising in some national hunting oh, magazines and, yeah. and uh, that that uh another one of those early players in oregon yeah i, I think i know what you're talking about i can't think of the name but like earl ulrich used to yeah. cl- uh, collect you wood so for self bows and staves and laminations and stuff i mean he was famous for that I actually have a book that I uh, I was able to purchase uh, from his from his wife after he died, and uh, it said uh, Saxon Pope actually signed it to uh, to Earl Ulrich. So I I am in my possession, uh, hunting with a bow and arrow, and signed by Pope to Earl Ulrich. So Bob doesn't have all the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I got one up there. It doesn't have Saxon Pope's autograph. On no, it. I'll sign it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> don't devalue it. yeah you guys have got all kinds of really cool stuff i was just gonna one of bob's uh longbows that he d- found amongst a friend and who i mean there were so many signatures on that bow yeah including art young yeah yeah um, and will compton yeah um so what's some some of the more like you know as far as oregon goes and and, and its history that you know stuff that you get that comes to mind that uh, leads us into t- well you fast forward to the 50s and 60s and i'm looking at a bill sweetland arrow box and uh, he developed the uh, compressed cedar uh, uh, method of, or compressing uh, port orford cedar and making it a very dense small diameter very durable durable arrow um, that had built-in weight forward i mean they were they were uh, the original ideal skinny arrows. shaft yeah heavy yeah. Down to five sixteenths or nine thirty seconds uh, were some of his standard sizes. I think I've got in my collection a, an arrow that weighs close to a hundred pound, uh, close to hundred pound spine. That is um, uh, about five sixteenths. I mean, it's he was able to, to get arrows down into that diameter and that that uh, stiffness. So, and he just had a process of shrinking the, the cedar. Yeah, he actually compressed the 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 wood. We call them flitches, the boards. Uh, through a process of heat and steam and and tons uh, of hydraulic pressure, tons of hydraulic mm-hmm. pressure. Tons. How, how long he did it? It was a lot of trial and error, and um, so he came. Actually, he was right here in Eugene, Oregon. So he did that for a number of years. You can still find a few of them on eBay or grudge sales or once in a while, but they're getting fewer and harder to find and stuff like that. But yeah, I've always got my eye out. Yeah, <laughs> but that I mean, and he he was known all over the country as well for. Dorn put a video together that documented yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that's what it was. Sweetland gave a presentation at a TAO. 
Yeah, banquet. Ale banquet. Bob and I were in the background, and you could <laughs> yeah. see the back of our head once in a while. Yeah, but. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's gotten grayer since then. <laughs> yeah, my hair was long. Bob had hair, so yeah, a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Not Norm, much. Norm Johnson was just showing me pictures, and they were all the backs of guys' heads. Yeah, and you could see uh, you guys in the crowd, and um, Brackenberry. Brackenberry and was in it. Norm had this big old like '70s hair. Well, everybody had a big old quite the quite the hair days going on. <laughs> So. Pretty awesome. Well, Dave introduced uh, that video. He, he does a little intro on, on the Sweetland Compressed Cedars. And uh, the first thing he says to open up that video is, uh, a pleasure you very likely will never know <laughs> is shooting a Sweetland shaft. And so that's uh, Actually, Larry Jones, uh, who was doing uh, uh, elk hunting videos and deer videos and stuff, was, uh, what are they called, videographers? Or the, he, he filmed it. Okay. Dave actually produced it and marketed it and stuff. And there's still some copies and things and uh, out around this day and stuff. But yeah, he, I, I think I watched it one time on a, on one of the uh, oh I don't know Trad Gang or one of those things. And I started listening to it and I I remember seeing it before and I was in the room and I, I sat there and watched it for the I don't know 40 or 50 minutes that it went on because it was that interesting to hear it again well you know. and hear it after you uh had become an arrow maker oh yeah shafter. yeah that uh yeah bob and i did you ever know bill i just or? watched it the other day yeah did you ever know bill no i, I didn't i didn't know bill i mean as a kid I yeah, bill's been bon gone for probably close to 20 years now i think 98 was when yeah, well, that's 20 yeah. years <laughs> yeah and uh anyhow but bob and i knew him for his last probably 20 years of his life i would guess and i met him so. when i was 18 Oh, well. <laughs> I knew him a long time. I didn't meet him quite that yet. Um, but, yeah, I knew him for yeah, probably 20 this, years. Since this is a podcast, <clears throat> we, we're not seeing things, but I just handed Carson's looking at a book. It's basically that book follows the uh, what Dave did with the video that Larry yeah. Jones did. And Bill's the one that, as we said earlier, that Doug talked a lot about, you know, arrows and making arrows and stuff. And Doug got a lot of like ideas from uh from bill bill was his on mentor the process. yeah exactly exactly so so the idea was to 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 make them stronger yeah yeah make it, it all started because he was uh, involved with the uh, archery classes in uh at berkeley down california correct. Mm -hmm. correct and he was frustrated with uh arrow shafts wood arrows breaking behind the points when students would miss the targets and uh fairly rocky dry soil i guess where they were and, and breaking the Right behind the point, and so that's what started his whole uh, uh, journey towards making a stronger arrow shaft. His he could have just used fur, but yeah, <laughs> right. Well, so. I think he tried <laughs> tried fur. Fur doesn't well. He didn't, tried compressing. Didn't, fur, didn't yeah. compress very well because of the the annual growth rings, the uh, the early wood and the late wood, as we call it, or some people call it summer wood and winter wood. But you know, that's the annual growth rings. They don't compress very well. Like cedar does. It was ideal for what he was doing. Yeah, it's a more uniform material. Through yeah, that. I think he tried spruce and some oh, other I think woods. A bunch of different. So it's species. so it sounds like as the um, old growth cedar started to uh, evaporate, the availability uh, became uh, less and less. Um, at some point, um, the idea to use fur. I mean that, and that's kind of where Sherwood Shafts comes from. I mean, can you elaborate on that? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look back in some of the old books, I bo collect books, and I've got some books from the 20s and 30s and stuff, and they listed all the, the woods. Uh, there was a Norway pine that was very good, lodgepole pines, fir was listed. But cedar, because it, like I said earlier, I think it, it molded so easily and it and it formed so easily. It just, you know, It's just an ideal wood. It's very strong for its mass weight and... Um, 
and that just became the wood of choice. Although these other woods were out there, just not as much as, as maybe now. I think the trees tended to grow <clears throat> so straight too. Yeah, probably huge straight. This trees. guy I talked in Idaho that you know says that people pay a thousand dollars a cord. He says what's happened when they logged the country in the twenties and thirties, all these uh, windfalls and cedars that had been maybe in fires and fallen. Uh, they went through and harvested them for arrows back in the 30s and 40s. Well, now, fast forward another 50, 60, 70 years, second growth has grown up, and they're cutting that down, and they're, they're discovering some logs that were missed, cedar logs, that were missed in some of that country where you grew up and live and stuff like that. So, And even stumps where there's just enough left <coughs> to harvest from the stump, which was you know just yeah. left behind because there was... Apparently, at the time. yeah. Apparently, cedar will lay on the ground for I've heard up to a hundred years, and you can still be usable. Fir, if it lays on the ground for five years, can be way past uh, making good arrows out of it because it rots so fast and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's what I was going to mention. <coughs> the, the distinct advantage that they have uh, for over, I mean, uh, cedar over fir. Like you said, I, I imagine a cedar lying on the ground in Western Oregon where we get up to 100 inches of rain on the coast and not rotting, but it's incredible that uh, yeah. Port Oford Cedar does that. We we have to get to a tree quickly. I mean, uh, in a couple of years, if, if it's laying on the ground, it's, it's not going to make good arrow shafts. We have to get to them a lot quicker than that. must yeah. be the oil in the cedar yeah, tree. It definitely yeah. is. So there's something yeah. in there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, I don't think they're, that oil is, uh, they're not subject to wormholes and insects and Stuff like that, where fur laying on the ground, you can get bugs in them, and we've had to discard some arrows because we found wormholes in some of <laughs> some of our shafts. Um, maybe speak to some of the advantages of uh, wood shafts. I know for me, it seems um, where carbon arrows coming in six hundred, five, four, three forty, three hundred spine. Those are giant jumps in spine class, where you guys offer. 40 45s 45 50s 50 55s i mean it, when you go to tuning your arrow to your bow um it seems uh you have such a huge variety of spine class i think that's one of the uh the, the big advantages besides the fact that you know how quiet they are i mean mm -hmm. yeah stability i mean uh you're looking at guys here who shot very few carbon arrows uh I have one right behind me here. It's a real long one. I use it at the golf shoot because it's about 34 inches long, and I could overdraw it on my tee shots. That's the only carbon arrow I've ever shot, so mostly, you know, aluminum and, and wood. But, yeah, the stability of wood shafts over carbon or, dugs or aluminums, and like you said, also the uh, mass weight uh, and the spine, you can uh, order w w exactly to what your bow is going to need, and I think that's a real advantage. Uh, that wood has so when you when you guys are building these um it, it you're just you're coming you said you're throwing a lot of shafts away um and you're obviously you're going through and spining them and weighing them but what does that look like i mean a log does it have every spine under the sun in it <laughs> i mean uh is, is it we wish yeah <laughs> we wish we wish we could order up well, whatever spine we needed we kind of joke about it uh, James, but what we'd like to do, we'd like to have the Forest Service go out and mark the trees that we're going to harvest for wood and say this is going to produce, you know, 50-55s, 60-65s, or 70-75s, whatever. But the fact is, we actually hope for a wide range, say from 30 pounds, and some fur is well over 100 pounds in spine, but 
uh, every once in a while, one of the biggest logs we ever harvested was literally six feet in diameter at the butt. It grew at almost 3,000 feet elevation, which we really like. It was perfectly, you know, gun barrel straight. It had no twists, no knots, super tight grain. And we th- were so ecstatic because we knew we were set for several years. We literally got 25,000 shafts out of that. But instead of that wide range from 30 to, say, 100 pounds, we got from about 35 to 50. And we have so many of those shafts, and we didn't get what we really thought we were going to get out of And why? You know, we are not experts. Uh, we're not foresters. We, we every once in a while think we should get a hold of a professor at Oregon State and see if he'd go up with us and while we harvest wood and just we could ask him a lot of questions and maybe he could fill us in. We know how to select wood, really. I mean, we know what we're looking for, but it's literally impossible to predict what kind of spine you're going to get out. I guess there, I say that, but I guess there is a, a tool where you hit the end of the log and it uh, measures the, how the, the, the echo speed, the sound yeah. travels through it, and yeah. tells you the density of the, the wood. Density the density, but <laughs> even then, it's yeah. there's some indicators. But yeah, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, well, it varies. It, it woods wood. Yeah, a general rule that we generally go by: if it's very dense, very heavy, mass weight, it usually produces heavy spine. And uh, when we're packing what we call the bolts that are a rut six by... When, when Carson's packing the bolts. Well, I pack the little ones. <laughs> <laughs> we're old and Carson's Anyhow, young, by but, the way. But, um, <laughs> yeah, when when there's a really, really heavy bolt that's... And the bolts are about six inches by, uh, I don't know, eight or ten inches wide and th- 36 inches long. If they weigh upwards to 100 pounds or more, we're pretty sure that that's going to produce a pretty heavy shaft. Our problem is is we only go through about three or four logs a year. If we went through 50 logs, we would probably find those three or four, maybe even five logs that had that heavy, heavy spine to it, which are still some people that want want it. Um, and uh, But we just we just haven't run onto one in the last several years. And so consequently, we have very few heavy spine shafts. In the old days, guys used to shoot an 80, 85-pound bow and needed an 80 or 90-pound shaft. Now they shoot a 50-pound bow with a 200 or 300-grain head on it and want that. Right, that's like my 75, case. 80, 85-pound yeah. shaft. Want that yeah. 75, 80, or 80, 85 because of the, the heavier points we're putting on the end. And, that, and that's something we've noticed in the last since Sherwood started, uh, even before I got there in the last 10, 11 years, that the, uh, the spine weight of arrows is, you know, the The, the demand for higher spine is, has it, gone up. It, well, it, um, but most of what we sell is in that 50-pound range because guys are shooting 45 to 50-pound bows. Well, yeah, the demand uh, for <clears throat> higher spine didn't come until guys started using heavier points. And now yeah. it's, it's going up. Yeah, because of, because of that. But guys yeah, aren't. Speed report. You go to any shoot in America and there'll be a 70-year-old guys standing around with a table full of 70, 75, 80-pound bows that they used to shoot when they were 30. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now, the 30 now the 30-year-olds sell, yeah. shoot, you know. 45 or 55 pound bows so yeah they don't have yeah, bad shoulders <laughs> yeah. yeah but it seems like even the, getting the arrow to do all the work my, yeah my generations uh, everyone seems to really are wanting to shoot that 45 to 55 pound range bow like they're like oh, i don't think i'm gonna shoot 75 pounds and ruin my shoulder like my dad did or my grandpa or my uncle or whatever they've just kind of learned that um you know, like in my case, I was able to shoot right through my deer and my elk this year uh, with a Sherwood shaft, and uh, the arrow was in the dirt on the other side with a 50-pound bow. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, th- I think that that seems to be the trend. 
Yeah. So, so there's still a demand for heavy, heavy spine, but it's, it, it's. And it's for a different bow. For it's a, d- a different bow. There are a few guys out there that shoot those heavier weight bows, but they're, they're few and far between, yeah. to be honest with you. And, and then when you have this, um, shooting these lighter poundage, I, I, a lot of guys find that their draw length, they can kind of open up a little more and, and then it extends. Now there they're drawing 28, 29, 30, and then putting a 160, 190 grain head on there, and now you're back to wanting an, an 80, 85. And a fast flight string, which right. is going to yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. But back to your original question about the you know the the benefits of shooting wood shafts. I want to go and and uh, basically redo this study. I don't know if I call it a study, but Chuck Lynn said that they got together all the different available shaft materials at the time, and he ran archery shop up in the Portland area for a number of years, and uh, they got all the different shaft materials together. They controlled for all the variables, so they made arrows that weighed uh, the same and spined the same and shot them out of a bow, out of a shooting machine, and wood arrows recovered. They had a higher speed to the chronograph than any of the other materials, carbon, aluminum. Byron uh, Ferguson, on a podcast recently, on the Push uh, podcast, he had made a, a, a mention or a quote or two um, that the wood arrow recovered faster, and it came out of a Paradox Quicker. And therefore, you know, it probably pertains to that, to that test you're talking about. Well, that's why he shoots carbons. He wants those arrows slapping around a little more to <laughs> slap those aspirins <laughs> Get out those of there. aspirins <laughs> out yeah. of the air, yeah. <laughs> right. right. Well, I, you know, when I'm talking to a, a, a non-hunter, non-archer, I, I use comparisons. I mean, there's, um, uh, there's still a number, a lot of people like to fly fish. There's still a lot of people that like to use a split bamboo fly rod as opposed to a, a carbon or a whatever else they've got out there. That It's just a different feel, a different recovery and stuff, and that's the way wood arrows are. I'm sure there's probably golfers that still want to use woods that are made out of wood instead of the... I think that's know. just John Strunk. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well there's probably a, a small little... Uh, <laughs> niche of that but i mean that so it's kind of kind of the same idea so and it might not be true for golf clubs but a lot of times um you know man-made materials we just can't quite get as good as nature has already done like if you look at hunting clothes you just can't there's no synthetic fiber out there that is as good as wool i mean nature's already over millions of years figured out what works best for that i've noticed uh on the internet like a lot of guys will um you know, um, rib other guys like, oh, that aluminum riser recurve, it just doesn't have soul. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you need to get a wood bow. And that same guy will be shooting, uh, which there's nothing wrong with it, be shooting some aluminums or some carbons. And I, I, I myself, I've said this on the podcast a few times, but I kind of hanging out with all these Sherwood guys, I kind of drug my feet. Like, I was like, oh, I'm happy with my carbons. These are great. They work for me. Um, but I seen that same like transition like going. I started with an aluminum riser Hoyt Buffalo was my first recurve, and then when I switched to uh, a uh, Norm Johnson Blacktail recurve and had a bow with sole. Well, um, when I shot my first wood arrows, I was like in love all over again with traditional archery. I was like, oh my gosh, these arrows are so quiet and they have soul. And I, I hear guys throw that around with the bow, but you don't hear it with the arrow very much and. I think a lot of guys uh, m- might be missing out, and I see why. Like, it seems, uh, I don't know why it seems so tough for me to make the switch. Like, it was easy for me to give the compound up and go to a recurve, but it was actually tough for me to switch from my carbons to the wood arrows 
and I look back at it after uh, one year. I've been shooting them for uh, one year now, and all the stumping I did and the animals I shot, um, it, it didn't restrict me at all. Um, zero, none. Um, so I, I think uh, for the guys that are listening, you owe to your guys itself to at least you know get a get a set and try them out because um, they they have uh, a lot of merit to them. They are a lot quieter and. I kind of switched from a recurve to a longbow because I really, um, I value quiet. I, I like a quiet shooting uh, bow. I've been playing with a D-shaped D uh, Allen Boyce bow a little bit in the last couple of weeks. And, man, uh, you know, it's like another level of quietness. It's, it's, I, it's cool. Yeah. That's, and that's why I love self-bows. I, I, when I first shot self-bows, I just seemed just, it doesn't make any noise. I was used to shooting uh, some glass recurves and uh, – and I, I think that's often overlooked as a performance characteristic of a bow. Uh, you know, everybody talks about speed, how fast, how flat trajectory your, your, your arrows are flying. But, I mean, how many times do you hear stories of animals jumping the string and, you know, you, you blew it because that animal jumped the string? I think a lot of guys are okay living with that because they feel like it wasn't, it was something out of their control, you know. It's just, but that's an overlooked uh, aspect of your setup is, is, is quietness. I think, um, if you can shoot a real quiet bow, it doesn't matter how slow or fast your arrow's going, you know. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, well, while you guys are talking about this, and this comes to mind, and, and uh, so what What if you'd have gotten some wood arrows, and I'm not going to mention any names or names, but they weren't they weren't good quality, and you went out and shot them for the first time. They may have sounded good. They may have been quiet. But if they broke on uh, every other shot because they didn't, somebody hadn't gone well, through and... and the, absolutely straight grain wood we spend a lot of time picking out the wood and examine we throw a lot well, you talked of stuff about that away. On the, the i did i brought, the, I brought that up I, I actually went out and shot a 3d course with a guy and he was shooting some cedars from another manufacturer and i think he went out with i think he had five arrows in his quiver and five arrows in a uh, pocket quiver and we he came back with one arrow or no arrows his arrows were breaking on everything like he just was breaking arrows and i was like you need to get some carbon arrows, man. Those arrows that break when you hit targets. And that's my point. If if there are people out there making wood arrows and they're not high quality, and people get a hold of them because they've never shot wood before, they're not going to go. They're they're going to go right back wood. to carbon. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. done with wood. Right. There's this misconception yeah. out there that and wood's junk. People say I, I talk to a lot of people on the phone each week. They call them for some reason. My name's listed on the top left, and people read from left to right, so I get. Uh, maybe more calls than the other two on newbies and stuff. And, well, why is your wood better than the other? I said, before I answer that question, good cedar, good spruce, good tamarack, good hemlock, good fir, all make good arrows. It's just you got to throw the junk away, you know, and um, it doesn't make for good profits if you throw all that stuff away. But, you know, our goal is to try to bring in the best wood into the shaft factory, and sometimes we get fooled. We think there's a, you get out in the woods, and we're all high-fiving because it's a great log, and we bring it in, and we find out there's rot in it, or there's more knots than we thought, the grain runs off, or something, and so we, we have to go back out and find some more. But Yeah, yeah Sherwood Shafts uh, is, is a quality, a high-quality wood uh, arrow producer, and there's other... Um, producers of arrows that are making a lot of wood arrows, but not necessarily um, a really high quality product. I think that that's the difference. There's only a couple other outfits I can think of off the top of my hand that I feel yeah. like are making real quality wood arrows. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that that also just kind of brings up, I think, a problem I see in traditional archery, uh, and I see it regularly. Um, 
guys will go to the Cabela's or Pro Shop or wherever, and they'll pick up a recurve and and the guys that you know from the compound shop wherever they don't know any better and they think an arrow is an arrow they just think that you can just shoot any arrow and a guy ends up with uh the wrong arrow to the bow and he's probably not going to stick around traditional archery very long because he's not gonna that arrow is not going to go where he's looking and um you know i think that's you know a huge uh, uh problem you know getting newbies in is realizing that how critical it is to to tune that uh, arrow to the bow and going back to your guys' shafts having the huge spine uh, options and being able to to match that and you can call these guys up and tell them hey you know I've got this recurve and um, it's uh, they're gonna ask you you know is it cut to center is it is it uh, um, you know cut past center they're gonna ask you how long your draw length is. Um, they're going to ask you what your string material is. They're going to figure out what point weight that you're shooting. And, and all these questions are going to lead them to the proper spine arrow, at least get you close. Get, get, us, get an educated guess because we don't, we don't see these people shoot. Right. I, uh, I was at a function a couple of years ago and the guy said he had a 30 inch draw. <laughs> and so I was trying I to, thought we all have trying to do draws. the calculations yeah. and I, uh-huh. He's over there shooting a little way, and I and he is literally releasing that arrow at no more than twenty six, twenty five, twenty six uh-huh. inches when he released it, and so all my best guessing went out the window on that, you know. And I went over and gently tried to approach him and talk to him. I said, "I don't really think you're getting a full thirty inches." And well, it's for early season, and I'm not warmed up yet, and this and that. Uh-huh. So he tried to convince me that he does eventually get the thirty inches, but uh, I didn't see it when he was shooting. <laughs> Yeah. So we we can give a lot of suggestions and and try to get them steered in the right direction, but we don't actually get to see these people shoot. And I think I think different bows perform a little different. Mm-hmm. Even not all sixty pound bows all shoot the same, you know. Yeah. So what you folks need to do is to take a leaf in your yard, poke it through your arrow, draw your bow back, uh, and uh, then measure where that leaf's at. Because I think a lot of guys are surprised when they find out oh, I'm, I'm only drawing twenty six, and it's like. Yeah. Yep, you're only drawing 26. Well, and there's something about that. You know, everybody wants to have a longer draw or something. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let's not go go there. Yeah, right. Let's not use other comparisons. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, yeah, we we found that because my son uh, owns, he bought it from Dave Dorn a few years ago, a business called Archery Pass, and people, you know, they tell us their draw length, and then they actually measure it. He's got an arrow with a the markings on it and generally it's an inch or two shorter once in a while i'll pull it right back to 30 or 29 or whatever he says he is but most people tend to draw a little shorter and, it, and that's uh riley savage archery's yeah. past mm-hmm. and he uh he sells sherwood shafts built and ready to go yeah yeah he, uh, arrow's ready to go plus he, he also deals in some cedar and lodge pole and a couple other things but yeah he actually sells some carbons and aluminums too Oh man, jeez! <laughs> Gotta cover yeah. all the bases. <laughs> Definitely, that's that's what's awesome about traditional archery is there's so many <clears throat> options and so many so many ways to get there. Well, is there uh, anything you think we haven't covered? Or well, I was just gonna say a couple things. Uh, you know, we kind of kid Steve a little bit once in a while. Okay, quite a bit. And I've told him that he doesn't say very many smart things one very <laughs> often <laughs> but but one of the smartest things i've ever heard him say is uh he says this quite often do you know how to make a, a small or a small fortune uh sell an arrow chest and i say no he said we'll start off with a big 
uh, fortune. So I'm, I'm, what I'm basically <laughs> saying is, you know, what we do is not a get rich. You know, Steve and I are retired. Uh, we don't really necessarily need this for an income. We do, you know, get a little bit of money out of every month out of Sherwood. Uh, but it, it's not really super highly profitable for us. If we measured the amount of time we spent, we'd probably make not five bucks an hour, Steve. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So it's, <clears throat> I've been thinking about it as we've been sitting here, uh, traditional archery. So why do we do it? Why do we do what we do? Uh, we're not getting rich. If that's, so that's certainly not our motivation. And really, traditional archery to probably, I'm sure Steve would agree with this. I think he would. That it's it's really part of who we are uh, to do to make your own arrows to make your own bows. We've all all of us sitting here have probably done that at one time or another, and it becomes who you are. It's it's a way the way you think, the way you live your life. It's Everything, a lifestyle. Yeah, it, yeah. it truly is. Yeah. It truly is. And so we do what we do because we enjoy doing it. For one thing, we have a good you know camaraderie between the three of us. We have a good time. We kid each other. Uh, we go work hard, especially up when we're getting wood and you know up the up in the hills. But we do it really because we want to enjoy helping other people. Uh, you know, we we're getting our sport out there, trying to make it grow and helping people out. I mean, that truly is part of the reason we do what we do. Is is because we just it's important. It's a part of who we are and a part of our life. So. Well, I can see firsthand why you guys aren't too bright. You guys, <laughs> you guys are all all quacked out on that duck. <laughs> these or, these uh, Ooh, U, U, U of O fans here. Yeah, we're yeah. going to drop some four-letter words here now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to, so, to rip these guys a little bit on that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's definitely – it's a lifestyle. Um, traditional archery, I, I think – you know, I like I, I got into it. You know, I like uh, the difficulty of it. I I love the the flight of the arrow. Um, I love extending my season. I love the the um, reward at the end when you're successful with this equipment. But I think also the camaraderie of the community is huge. Like when I first uh, w went to TAO banquet, that's why I tell everybody to join their, their state uh, traditional archery club if they have one and um, find these mentors and uh, uh, meet guys uh, like Bob and Steve because it is, it is just so awesome to be a part of this community uh, of guys that uh, have been, you know, young uh, and old. I mean, there's just so much to learn. I learn stuff every day about something so simple as a bow and arrow. Well, one of the things you were, as you're talking there reminded me of something. Um, <clears throat> Howard Hill, one of the most famous orchards of all time, by the way, shot a longbow and wood arrows most of the time, uh, and was very, very accurate. Uh, he wrote a book called Hunting the Hard Way. Yeah, I and, love that. I mean, that name of that book says it all for traditional archery, Hunting the Hard Way. You know, hunting the Hard Way is sharpening your own broadheads, practicing with it, getting close to the animal. I mean, it's is again an attitude it's not a whack em and stack em type thought process and um, i say if you just think of hunting the hard way don't try to do things to make it easier because that, that's not what traditional archery is some guys take the challenge and some guys don't you know but so, anyway i mean uh it, it is truly a challenge and if, if you want to accept that challenge you know pick up a pick up a trad bow and some wood arrows and go for it
let's not uh, <clears throat> mislead the listeners here. Shooting wood arrows isn't a, isn't making it harder. <laughs> no, oh, I got you. <laughs> no, no. no. Traditional no. equipment is, of course, harder. But uh, yeah, but wood arrows is not making it harder on yourself. You're right, Carson. Yeah. No, definitely not. Well, I I really enjoyed uh, you guys uh, taking the time out to uh, talk a little wood arrows with us today, and I think everyone's going to enjoy it. And uh, I do appreciate your guys' time. Sure. It was our pleasure. Thank you, James. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you guys learned a lot. Don't forget to check us out at tradquest.com. We're on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight. Frosty before the sun comes up, the geese are on the wing. The deer are fat and happy, no, they don't suspect a thing. I can't take it any longer, I've got to breathe some air. The only cure for what I've got is a week or so out there. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can play the view. Thank you.